Welcome. I hope you enjoy the conversation you're about to see between me and another comedian about religion and comedy. These are conversations I'm calling Disorganized Religion. God bless. And for those atheists out there, may nothing await you after this life. Hey, nerds. Welcome to another episode of Disorganized Religion. I'm your host, Seth Lawrence, as always. Thank you all for tuning in and for listening. This week, this episode, True Treat, a, a treasure a national treasure, a treasure of both East and West Coasts, a rising star, a meteoric comedian, the mighty Maddie Chimber joins me today. Welcome, Maddie. Thank you so wow. much, man. I mean, I, I knew the intro was going to be good, but you <laughs> blew my pants off that are not even on right now. And I'll tell you, yeah, I'm, baby. Fla- I'm flattered to say the least. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I love that Zoom provides us the mullet of outfit, the the business on top, party on bottom. Professional on top, uh, you know, misdemeanor down below because this <laughs> wouldn't be legal anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, the indecent, decent exposure. Yeah, let's see. The party, non-party, we'll do legal up top illegal below that's the new yeah move. i love it i love it uh, although you did man. say my last name slightly wrong i'll say ah. you know so how does fan, how does one who knows you better pronounce it it's like timber but with a ch sound timber timber sometimes people and i give them the benefit of the doubt they try to sound more fancy and i i take it as a, a term it like a endearment you know they try to yeah. get fancy with it chambord i get shambors <laughs> people add letters at the end i'm like i i know you like me but you know it's whatever though right. i've learned to deal with it right i just went with sort of phonetic chimber that's that's what i went with that's a good chimber. that's a good that's a good thing the i the y tricks people you know yeah it's, it's a, a tricky sneak, that's a sneak, that's that's a sneaky letter a vowel yeah <laughs> All right, I'm a sneaky letter. Anyways, (laughs) it is. It is indeed. And you're a sneaky man. You're a sneaky man. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) So, uh, Maddie, I mean, I've seen you around a lot on the scene, but I think you and I really got to know each other just a couple weeks ago at uh, the nightcap at at Aaron Maliner's spot. Nightcap used to be known as the bunker, not to be confused with the comedy bunker run by the fantastic Latif. But yeah, uh, the nightcap, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm a huge, might be a bigger fan of uh, nightcap than I was the bunker, but I mean, the place, great hang out. I love outdoor vibes. He, you know, it's more of a hang than the bunker was, which I appreciate. We all can kind of hang out in that room, chit chat, you know, goof around, drink more importantly. And (laughs) right. Well, some of you, some of you can drink. You don't, but hey, if you <laughs> yeah. get a couple white claws and put me in a green room, I'll start making friends. So, <laughs> the Lucy, the Lucy Goosey Maddie, that's what we all hey, love at the nightcap. Give me, uh, I'm making friends everywhere. But yeah, it's been great. I feel like three. Your person, though, I feel like, although we just met a few weeks ago, I feel like I, if somebody, I, I feel like I've known you longer. It's one of those type of things versus I some people that. where, yeah, where some people you meet you know, for a long time. And you're like, why do I feel like I can re-meet you every time? <laughs> Unlike you, where I'm like, did we cross paths before? And I just have amnesia, but you know what? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I like meeting people like you. I agree. I agree. It's sort of like, I don't necessarily believe in reincarnation, but meeting people like you, 
where it's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we did. Maybe we did cross paths in some previous life. I mean, hey, I, I, I'm. I, I, somebody can prove it. I'd believe it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a, that's uh, a bumper sticker. <laughs> that's it. The coexist. Get rid of coexist. Just if you can prove it, I'll believe it. That's, that's all I need. Sticker. Kind of prove it. Don't even prove it. I'll believe it. Just some somewhere toward the realm of proof. And, uh, exactly. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So you've been doing comedy for 10 years. You started in L.A. or did you start in New York? So real quick, uh, one to answer your first question, I started out, I mean, if you want to get technical, I'm from Connecticut. I actually never did stand up in New York. Um, mm-hmm. I did my first, my first time ever on stage. Let me pull back. My first time ever on stage, oddly enough, was in Massachusetts because a kid I worked with in Connecticut went to Worc- Worcester Polytech. I knew he, we worked at a day camp together after college. I knew he did stand up and I was like, Hey man, how do you even get into this? Cause one of my buddies recommended I do it. I was always a fan. And, but in like yeah. the East coast entertainment's not really an option. Everybody knows it, it like people pursue or know how to get into. And oddly enough, I'm at this day camp. He does it. Um, yeah. Hit him up. He got me on this, like, I don't even know what in, in hindsight, I don't even know what it was. It was like this weird showcase improv slash comedy uh variety thing but he got me like five minutes on it and okay. so i did that first set in connect or in massachusetts did probably like five open mics in connecticut and during that time i already graduated undergrad and i knew i was going to come to la um uh-huh. and then you know I, I i mean i don't know i didn't even know what the term taking comedy serious was but i would just do i did like right. one a month you know what i'm saying yeah. And then I m- moved to LA and t- did grad school, took like six months off and then hit it pretty hard here once I realized I really like it. So I just tell people I start out here, but if we want to dig into the nitty gritty for podcast world, that's kind of like the, the right. timeline of it. Yeah. Well, now now you can separate your real fans from just your casual fans, Maddie. Those who know you started in yeah. Massachusetts for real. Out of the box. They might have been there. I know. Maybe. <laughs> I, well, it's funny. Yeah. Saying Worcester is Boston is a stretch, but hey, I'll take it. I don't care. It sounds cooler. <laughs> it's all the same. On the West Coast, to me, it's all the same over there, right? Honestly, it's all smushed together, and they all they all talk the same anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, they're all cold and miserable together. So, And you know what? That generates comedy, so I'll take that. But yeah, so I did that, and then uh, 10 years, and that's crazy. I guess it's weird to count this year or last year as a year in comedy, but I'm a person yeah. that I, I'm never like, you always meet people in comedy who get very uh, technical when they try to like tally up how many years because they want to sound like they've been doing it less. They're like, right. I've been grinding for like a year, but I've been doing it for 12. You're like, you've been doing it for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. So I'll count yeah. it. Uh, and, and what is your, there are a couple of things I want to talk to you about, but first I want to ask you about the, uh, your writing process. Cause your, your comedy is so unique to you. And I, I love all of what you do. Uh, but I'm curious about how you come up with the bits that you, that you stick with. Boy, I, I'm glad this is being recorded because I'm going to listen back to it. Cause I <laughs> sort of got, I don't even know, like, yeah, uh, and it's interesting to hear people say things like "you, my comedy is unique," and you can tell my because, like, 
you know, everybody has like imposter syndrome where I feel like I'm just every white guy that I, but lately yeah, I've noticed the things that stick are, and I do my best to write jokes and really be observant. I'm not a guy who sits down and writes. I try to do like the morning page thing, but that's like fair weather stuff. I jot ideas down. I do a lot of open mics and I will write like a word or an idea that intrigues me. And it's Mm -hmm. just the sheer volume of going up and just saying stuff constantly and just keeping what sticks and finding like a rhythm in that where, and I feel like for you, since you started seeing me at the nightcap, I've been getting good at like, just being free on stage. I tend to think like I I'm good at like, I don't say riffing, but I'm pretty quick witted. And some of the things they're not crowd work per se, but it's like things that happen in the moment that I somehow generate into jokes that I can do off like at different venues. Like, so when people are like, Oh, it's good crowd work. But if you actually watch me at a couple places, I can do that. It almost becomes a bit, which is odd. So I have those, which I feel like my, career shifting more towards that which it sounds very conversational and very and it's it's like a hundred percent me but when you see me on the road I did have a lot of like because I used to open for Drew Lynch and you kind of emulate the person you open for so he watching him he's very structured you open with this you close with that and on the road you do need something like that so it's weird I'm like I'm departing from that while trying to take this the the professionalism of that style, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it feels like you're you're kind of describing uh, an Ian Bag, like a, a Drew Lynch to Ian Bag transformation, almost. Of right, having this kind of repertoire of what appears to be off the cuff riff, but you've just done it so many times, and people are generally all the same. That right couple tweaks here and there and it looks brand new but it's really something that you've honed uh right lazy you know right and honestly for me as a per and a writer too and just how i like i hate doing i'm i never ever ever write my jokes out verbatim like they don't really Mm -hmm. the only time i ever did that was actually like a year ago at my thing right here june 29th last year I did an hour for the first time. And that was the only time I ever, and it was at the comedy bunker, oddly enough, you brought it up. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. That was the only time I ever uh, got very technical because it's just the sheer volume of jokes. You can't just like be off the cuff, like these sets around town when you're doing 10 minutes, 15, you can get away with like not really planning, but that was the first time I made like a Google docs and I wrote down verbatim. But even when I do that, my rule for myself is like, when I start tag, you do the punchline. When I start tagging, I really try to make that custom for the show or that's my like wiggle room where you can, Mm. I'm allowed. I'm like, a. I have like my right and left side of my brain where it's like my right side is do the joke up to the punchline. And once you get that laugh, I'll let you off the leash for the tags and then I'm going to put you back on the leash. So yeah. it, it mimics like uh, you, you kind of like hide the structure around me around and stuff. So <laughs> sure. Well, do I you need feel that. Like... I'll drive myself crazy, dude. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely can understand that there's for me. Uh, I, I try to have at least one or two jokes that are just kind of mine that 
Right. I almost don't even care if the audience loves it or not. I just like toying with the ideas of the jokes. I need um, those or I can't. I just feel like a shell of a person just reciting the same <laughs> words. You're just like, what was that? That's not even fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I wanted to add, does, does, do you feel like it's maybe a risk reward kind of thing too, where some of those tags that you're playing with don't quite oh, yeah. hit as hard, but if, if yeah. they do, it's like a super hard hit. Yeah, dude. That's the thing where I feel when I do go off the cuff a little bit too much, you're mm-hmm. right. It's like, it either is just like great or it just completely flops and it freaks me out a little bit. And that's like the point in my group, yeah. like where I'm at comedically, where how do I juggle that? And I always mm-hmm. feel like I used to take myself off the tether rope when I would do the riffs and I'd be, if the joke or the tags were eating it or whatever, I would, mm-hmm. I would have a hard time scrambling back to the structure, but now I'm trying to be really good at like getting my, my scripted stuff very good where it makes me feel comfortable. So I can sense if like the first tag or whatever, they're not feeling it. I just go right back to the thing. You kind of like dip your toe in the water. If they're, if it's too cold and not feeling it, you just zip right back. So, but you're right. When it hits, it's like, I mean, it's just like, it's a laugh you can't get from most of your punchlines. That's what I try to make my, you know, so but when it doesn't, it's a terrifying uh, (laughs) career ending moment. And you drink at the nightcap and talk to strangers. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's a self, (laughs) sometimes it's a self questioning. Like, what am I even doing? Why am I even up here? This was all a terrible mistake, bro. It's uh, it's crazy, but you know, it's the, it's easy to like romanticize now in the moment. It's a definitely a tough thing. Cause I'm, I see people, I feel like, it's funny because I see people like you and like at the nightcap, we always see Taylor Tomlinson there, like very like technical people. And I, the grass is always greener. Like I swear to God, I wish I was like a David, like a writer. And I was talking to a friend yesterday who's a comic and I'm like, I wish I loved writing because I'm a very visual person. Like I draw paint and I can see what's good. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it later, but like, even with my videos I make online, when I can see it, yeah, I can. I feel more confident if it's a yes or no. But when I write, I don't see humor on paper like certain people. So it's very hard for me. And I envy like the technical people who can just go up there and just slam with this like perfect thing and do that every time versus me where the anxiety is yeah. like, well, got to figure something new out this show. And it just kind of scares right. the shit out of me because there's no like guarantee in that. So that's the the thing I'm trying to learn right now and, or at least deal with better. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I feel very similarly to you. I had a little bit of improv training, you know, with, with comedy sports in Provo before doing stand up, And sometimes I feel like that's a, a boon. And sometimes I feel like it's a crutch that gets me in trouble, you know? Oh dude. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Yeah. But I did a show, I did a show Friday and I literally before the set, I'm just like, I'm a person, I don't know about you, like, I know the riffs work great when they hit, but, like, how to get into them, I'm not sure. Like, before every show, I'm just a nervous wreck. Like, I'm going to bomb. <laughs> sure. And I just, yeah. and then I have, like, this one sentence that's, like, I'm excited to say that leads me in. 
And once I yeah. get going, I'm fine. But like, dude, when you do the improv stuff, like, I don't know about you, I'm just like a wreck before each show because I'm like, I have no idea what is going to happen right now. Like, I'm never <laughs> confident. It's like the craziest thing. Yeah, yeah. What my strategy is to have, you know, one or two jokes that I know I'm going to do. One right. kind of right off the top and then one maybe in the middle or even as a closer. But getting into the improv, like what kind of these ideas I want to toy with, yeah, mm. that can be soul crushing if it's not going well. Uh, I mean, it's it's weird, but you know what? It's it's the mo- uh, my confidence has a lot to do with that feeling before I got on stage, though. Like at, lately sure. at the nightcap, I, that venue, I sort of got just having all you guys there and we're having fun makes yeah. me not care about the outcome as much, and I'm trying to take that <laughs> right. mentality because, like, yeah. you ever see like these these guys around LA who are like successful. And you watch them, their air of like, I care, but I don't give it is like through the roof. Like you watch yeah. them on stage taking risks and like, you're just like, God, like, I wish I can, I want to do that. But I, my fear is like, I got to do good. So they booked me again. But then when I do right. venues like night, nightcap and everyone's there and like, we're friends with Aaron and he's like, dude, have fun. You'd have these sets that are so great. And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to mimic because it makes me feel better about doing the weird things. So yeah, that's the, yeah. that's the rule for this year for me at least. Yeah. Trying. Well, and that's good. I mean, the people that I noticed doing that, you know, for example, like a Neil Brennan, you know, taking risks and he's a writer for sure. He's not, I don't right. think going off the cuff up there. Um, but he'll take risks, you know, and, and do something that he's not sure how it's mm-hmm. going to land at all. He's just working stuff out. I think some of that comes with the success of all these other times that he's been up on stage and kind of that freedom right. to just, they're going to have me back again next week. You know, no big deal. Dude, as a guy who like, I don't, I mean, that's the biggest thing I always in LA is like, I was like, I know I'm funny, but I always feel like I'm so scared because I have to please the booker, which in turn right. makes me nervous. And I don't right. do as well as I could. And then you have <laughs> sure. these shows where you're like, then you have the show where you're like, bar show i don't care and you're like who was that guy i want to be that guy everywhere <laughs> yeah. i don't want to be the yeah. guy who's trembling in front of, but then it's just tough because like a new a no-name new guy you kind of have to be like you have to show up and perform but you're like okay do i just like and i've talked to people it's like do you go up there with the risk taker mentality and just say you know what i'm gonna do my thing and i wonder like if it's as bad as I think, like whenever I feel like that, I'm like, Oh, you're probably going to, it's not going to work out, but it's like, I bet they can smell you being yourself more than being this Mm. just recited comic. I'm curious about like, as somebody judging and watching comedy as like a booker, what they gravitate towards more like, Oh, he didn't do as well, but that kid was in the moment having fun versus, Oh, this kid did technically better, but he was just this like robot scared boy you know so it's like (laughs) right right. is that replicable i think i I wonder too how much they they think you know this is and we're two cisgender white guys i feel like i'm replaceable you know if i don't crush every time in these showcase things i'm replaceable i'll just find somebody else i think and i don't know about like for me but that feeling makes me feel like i have to and it's good though because it makes me have to be such myself more and that's why I'm happy you said like, oh, you're unique. You, I can see your jokes are like you. I'm like, that's good because like you said, we're just these mannequins of comedy. If you're a white, straight male, 
in comedy. Yeah. You're this mannequin of comedy that better make enough noise where they recognize your specific noise separate right. from these other straight white males. So right. I guess it's a gift and a curse where you're like, it forces you to really be this concentrated version of yourself, but also it's scary because you're just like, man, somebody can just take me out and put in Moses storm, like, and be like, all right, goodbye. Right. Same show. Same, same yeah. show. I don't think yeah. so, but uh, no. yeah. So, okay. So are you more worried about like the before times with the big crowds that you're performing in front of or small crowds like outdoors now? Not, not like COVID safety issues. I'm just talking about, you know, relationship with the audience. Which one scares you more? Um, the, uh, I don't want to say it's either the audience that scares me if, okay. Just to answer this question for how I'm feeling right now, the audience that scares me the most right out the gate is whatever show I'm on when I'm on the show with other very good comics Mm. and I know they're watching. So that's like the first one. Like, I'll be honest with Drew and like, I love outdoor I goof off. I like bigger crowds when I was with Drew because oddly enough, I'm less nervous at big shows because there's there's a wall of darkness and whatever's behind that, you don't know. Like, I mean, if you're watching the crowd, you're freaking out, but when you do it enough, those are easy because you're just like presenting jokes. Like, you're just like, versus like an outdoor show, you got to do a little more of the riffy dancing around. But I like, I also like that too. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in rooms where the bigger crowd is dead and you know you just feel like you can't keep the balloon of laughter in the air and it keeps falling and you're like lifting it back up and but then again i'm just completely dancing around a solid answer um but then i've (laughs) done outdoor shows where yeah they're not paying attention and you're just like am i just talking right now so yeah i don't know i think whatever one my peers are at i get terrified yeah that's like at least for me now i don't know the outdoor stuff yeah. i kind of like though because i'm very add and i like seeing things happen like if something happens it just like almost gives me a reason to leave my joke and just go on my little tangent versus like in a bigger room you can't just do that like sometimes <laughs> right. in a bigger room you know sometimes in a bigger yeah. room like i'll i actually have a bad habit of calling out something in the first couple rows and mm. no one behind that row knows it and then i kind of and then i ruined my joke that was working yeah and that riff bombs and then i'm trying to start from zero again so yeah 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 but they're both great so yeah yeah i totally understand totally understand great it was a perfect answer maddie it was a perfect answer i don't know you get what i'm saying (laughs) they're all great and and they're all terrible all for different reasons it just depends on the night excited all the time yes (laughs) Yeah. So you studied architecture. You're working as a project manager right now. What what drove you into stand up other than just, you know, your buddy being like, hey, man, you're funny. You should try it out. What what kept you, you know, coming back for stand up? Uh, what got me? I mean, I it's funny. I always enjoyed being funny around my friends, but I never thought I was the funniest. But I loved when I made people laugh. Although it's weird, like around my friends, I didn't think I was necessarily the funniest, but like in my family, I always knew, and I never thought of this as like a special thing, but I always knew how to make like my stepbrothers and stepdad and sister like laugh. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I just like, 
I know what I do. I self-deprecate and they laugh. So I was like, but I didn't know that was comedy. I was just like, oh, I can know how to make them laugh. It's not a big deal. And it's funny, like I would make my mom laugh, not because I was trying to be funny sometimes, but because a situation would happen and I would, I would be to try to wrap my head around it. And that's kind of how my comedy is now. Sometimes I would yeah. say like a metaphor, like, oh, that is kind of like this. And she would laugh because I made a metaphor, but I'm like, I'm generally trying to wrap my head around it. Um, right. But it's funny. I was doing all that crap growing up. My friend recommend, recommended it. I was a huge fan of comedy as is. So it was just like a blessing in disguise that he recommended it. And then when I do it, and you're kind of chasing that that carrot in front of you because I knew I was better than how I was in that moment. I'm like, I know I'm funny. I know how I mm. make all my friends laugh. But when I go on stage, I'm just not that guy. And I was always ch- striving to be the guy off stage, uh, on stage that I am off stage. And right, it's just been right. years and years of chasing that. Well, you know, good things have been happening. And I generally love doing stand up and making people laugh and the whole process. But I really think it was just like my stubbornness being like, you're not quitting because I know you're better than this and you know, you're better than this. And we're going to see how far it can go because that's right now you're just not developed and you're not giving yourself justice. So generally think that's it right now. And it's just besides being fun, that's kind of like the more stubborn mule inside of me that keeps me going. Right. Well, I think, you know, we all need that as a stand-up, you need a healthy level of delusion. You need a healthy level of determination, oh, yeah. right? Tons of delusion. <laughs> it's weird, but it's like, don't you feel like, I mean, it's like, not to, I mean, just to say it out loud, but it's like, you need delusion as far as like keeping yourself going. But it's like, you also need this air of like, I mean, for me personally, like I'd also, you have this like ignorance of like, I'm better than them, not maliciously. Cause I've come mm. from like sports. I played sports my whole life. I played baseball in college. It's a competitiveness yeah. where it's like, not only that, it's like, I see, and this sounds like delusional to say, but like, I would see some of the big names and be like, I, I can do that. Like, I know right. I can be that funny, but you don't ever say those things out loud because you'd be <laughs> called an immediately but it's like these little right your your angel on your shoulder which you rarely let talk to you in the world of comedy because i feel like you're constantly beating yourself down yeah being like dude yeah you can do this like you're good like that you're better than that you're just not as you're he's been doing it longer and like even now like i see some of the bigger people where i'm like you're not better than me you just get way more shows than me and going back to the other thing you get more shows with the comfort if you do bad you will continue to get shows versus me where i'm still proving myself as a comic when i get the 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 quantity of shows that you get i guarantee i will be as good if not better than you and it's a douchey thing to say which people would hate (laughs) to hear me say but that's like a thing yeah. that you kind of got to tell yourself, like you got to be go to go to bat for yourself and just beat yourself up all day. So yeah, that's another yeah, thing too. It, it is an interesting dichotomy of, of exactly what you're talking about. And we don't need to get into particulars of who we each think no. we are better than. And that's where I think the douche <laughs> that's on the really Patreon. comes out. That's on the, right? pa- that's on the Patreon. If you have <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to pay, get past the paywall for that. But yeah. it takes it takes a healthy level of that. But then there's also this very self-critical side of, you know, that wasn't good enough, right? Like that that wasn't oh, dude, always. the level that I want. Um, right. And, and both of those emotions live in all 
I think all truly successful, successful standups at all times. Right. It's, I mean, how often do we ever have a set? How long, even if we have that set, cause we, this is, I mean, I'm sure you can attest where it's always having these sets where you're like, that should have been better. Oh, that was yeah. good. But this, it sucked this. It's always doing this. It's always, that yeah. was good. This show, this was that. that, that. Then you yeah. out of nowhere for, and I tell people you, you're at that weird area for a couple of years where you're having some of these and then out of the blue, you tell a joke or have a set that is just way up here. And then mm. you're like, Oh, I don't know what I did. I, I know what I did different. I did, you know, better tags, better laughs per minute. And then you kind of bump yourself up and then you, and then you're like, I'm doing so good now. And then you do that <laughs> yeah. for a couple months and then it keeps yeah. going up. And then you look back to like when you thought you were good here, but even then, right. like now I'll have a set where I'm like, I mean, I, every joke hit, every tag hit, they laughed for a long time. And I can listen to that set a year later and be like, that's not good. Like, you, I mean, you <laughs> yeah, always have to, yeah. yeah, you always have to like keep yourself humble. You have to, you have to be a very like a, a statistician about things where you have to note the good check yeah. it off on the Excel sheet. Okay. You got eight out of 10 and then you right. just go right back to the drawing board. And it's like, you rarely pat yourself on the back that can get old and it's hard right. to like, but I mean, that's the, the grind you have to do. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, I mean, as far as your level of success, Maddie, a lot of it here in Hollywood is based on followers and you're building the army. You're building the, the Chimbor army. And I mean, I mean, so how, how have you moved from, you know, just strict standup to now like Instagram, TikTok mogul? You're, you're getting up there. All right. Okay. Let's not. <laughs> Where are your blue check marks, Maddie? Where are those Dude, blue check marks? Are I they in the mail? I've, I've applied and they're like, you wish. I'm going to send them this episode. I'm going to send them this episode with the, just a clip of the intro and you saying that and be like, what more do you need? There need? you go. But, uh. <laughs> Yeah, I've always been very aware, and this is where I, I've always been very aware where I see other people, I reverse engineer things, where I'm like, how did they get there? And every time it had to do with build a social media following, right. and nine times out of 10, it's make something that can be shared and always it lean back to like videos. And I knew I wanted to do videos because I see Drew blew up from YouTube and got videos and was very prolific with putting out great content and they go viral. And I was like, all right, I knew I want to do that. And to me, like, I was like, how do I get to be a working comedian? And it's always get a fan base to buy tickets because when you push, when you sell tickets, you control and you have a bigger say in what type of money you make. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's what makes you a working comedian. And then I go, okay, how do you make tickets? You have to build a following. And like I said, you see the Drews and the Trevor Wallaces and my buddy Stevie Emerson, who I do stuff. And I'm like, I mean, other people have different theories of how they think the, the, the route goes. But I'm like, for me, that is the direct, the fastest way to be a working comedian. And I've always said that. And I started dabbling like a couple of years ago, I would do my cooking with Maddie videos. Like I wasn't doing anything that was really like getting viral. Like it wouldn't really yeah. get, it, it would get notoriety, but nothing really like was getting shared a ton. And then I, I got a little bump because the laugh factory let me do the fresh faces and they shared a couple of right. my videos. Right. And I always knew like, okay, get bigger accounts to share you. That's great. But that's like a, 
that's like getting a big paycheck, but that's not having an investment that's constantly giving you return. So I was happy right? because it starts to validate you in the world of social media. And I got like 5,000 followers like or 6,000 from that. And it's mm-hmm. good because, and in my head, I'm like, okay, like that should start to steamroll and just you're constantly learning lessons where it's like when I was, when I was at a thousand followers, I'm like, man, when I get 6,000, it's going to steamroll because they're going <laughs> to yeah. share it and it's going to work yeah. great. And, and it, and it didn't, I, but I kept putting out, I got over the years, I would do Cuckoo and Maddie. I would do these random sketches. I would do kind of just like, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then, but I was always putting stand up way before it. I would do my podcast a little bit but I'd always put stand up 99% of my time. So the 1%, I wasn't really giving myself time to develop like a really good idea. And then mm. COVID hit oddly enough, you know, silver lining. <laughs> right. And, and at the be- at the tail end of COVID or before it hit and even the beginning, I did a show at the improv and this manager from New York, his name's Meech Golden. He's the man. He's, he's not repping me, but he's just like, he just was like, call, he, he introduced himself. I want to take a call. And he just gave me a lot of pointers. And he's like, dude, I just want to be a resource for you. Yeah. And it was just, and it was great. He's just like, a, I was finally felt like validated in a way. And then right. long, story yeah. short, long, long story short, at the beginning of COVID, they had a social media manager at, um, at his agency. And I had, I was like, can I just talk to him for like 20 minutes? And I was like, dude, I just want to pick your brain. And he told me the yeah. best advice. He goes, make shareable content. So people can share it. And I basically started, I don't know if you like scroll down. I, I, I used to do, um, I would do the tweets. You just do a tweet and put it on your Instagram on Twitter. Yeah. They would eat it. They would eat an ass. They would do, t- they would do like maybe. Okay. And what by, okay. I mean like 10, 10 likes. Yeah. And then did that for a little bit, but I'm like, again, I'm not a writer. I love the visual thing. Right. And started doing a couple, I, I was, t- I was, going away from the Coco and Maddie. And then I started doing a couple of these random little sketches. And then, um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just start one day. I was like, I'm going to start doing TikTok. I don't care. I'm going to do a sketch, two sketch or three sketches a week. When I say sketch, it's like a one liner version of a video. And I was like, I'm just going to put it out and keep doing it. And I had a couple that did really well on there. And I mm-hmm. put them on my Instagram and they were starting to get good views. And I was like, okay, this is before Instagram reels came out, which is like the TikTok version. Yeah. And just kept making them. And I had like a handful that out of the bunch I made, I had a handful that did um, really well. And then once Instagram reels came out and I just to kind of backtrack when IGTV came out and my, the rule of thumb for any, so for Instagram is whenever there's a new feature they push it very hard. So right. actually at, at the beginning of COVID, I went back and all my old stand-up clips I used to post, I re-edited with captions and a thumbnail. And because yeah. IGTV was new, they were pushing them and I actually got a good bump in followers. Oh, then, interesting. Yeah. Yes. Because it was a new thing and everyone's like right. sharing it. So I was like, I'm going to jump on this and I put it out. I didn't know, but I, in hindsight, I was like, oh, it's because it was new. So then mm. when everyone's like, oh, Instagram stole uh, TikTok, they made their own. I had like five videos that I already knew did great on TikTok. Yeah. And I was like, I go immediately, I put it on Instagram Reels and within like a week, those ones just started taking off because it's the new feature. It's right. proven material. 
and it was just getting shared and like like levels of views that I was just like, are you like within like a, a couple of days, like two hundred thousand views on there? Which I mean, yeah, we all know it's like an inflated thing, but um, honestly, the rest is kind of history. Where right from there, I started to generate this style of basically acting out inanimate and personifying inanimate objects and personifying things. Yeah. And then it just kept working and working and working. And I just was like, all right, this is like what I'm going to do. It's starting to dwindle down, but like to go back to your question, like, or your statement, like that's basically how I got to where I'm at now where it's like, all right, I just jumped on it. And then I started developing these ideas. And now like, I tend to think I'm a good editor and I just keep trying to pump out as many as I can. And they're just like, thankfully Instagram must have deemed me like a good influence or whatever you want to call it and now like my they still they still get good views but the beauty is like now like meme accounts will share it yeah and and that's kind of like the good thing where just having a a video that gets shared and gets shared and shared and shared it's kind of like investing money you can either look at it Mm -hmm. two ways like save your paycheck each week which means like you know hoping you get these little followers from comedy shows so you're like i perform for 100 if i do well i'll get 20 or you go, I'm going to make a video that's going to be working for me while I sleep. And, right. And, which you essentially look at as yeah. like stock investing. So yeah, that's kind of it right now. And I'm, I'm now still trying to figure out the next step because it's definitely slowed down, but I'm still trying to see like how to even get like more revenue of humans to my page. And <laughs> right. it's, it's really like a whole different game and it's stressful and daunting, but uh, yeah. I mean, I'm all in now, so I got to figure it <laughs> well, out. Well, yeah. Well, well, well done. Well done. You've done, you've done fairly well. It seems like, so. I mean, there it's like, it's like comedy. It's like, I don't know, you write an idea and you're just, or you're just like stressed out. You're like, I got to do a new idea. And then you just beat yourself up and you're like, was that even funny? Like, <laughs> did I just, I, yeah. I just acted out birds. Is that funny? Like, I don't even know what the hell's going on. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's great. Did you check the beak? Did you see the beak on her? Oh, you watched it. Thank you. I did. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Dude, I'm still Uh, a psychopath, but anyways, that's what it is. I love it. Uh, So you recently did an hour at the Comedy Bunker. What what strategy did you implement as a, you know, self-admitted non-writer? You know, Mm -hmm. how how did you go about organizing the hour? Basically... um, I, and I, I learned this lesson from, I forgot, I think, uh, Jim, James P. Connolly. Do you know him? Uh, name sounds really, he's familiar, like a Marine. But... He was a big flappers guy. He's uh-huh. older, but he would always headline. He was always like headlining and doing Claremont. And he taught me a while ago, when you do longer sets, you don't remember the individual jokes. You remember the chunk. Right. So I had my construction or working work chunk. I had my, mm-hmm grew up in Connecticut, single mom chunk. I had, so I, I basically wrote out, um, and, and luckily featuring for Drew has got me, it gave me a good solid base of like probably 20 good minutes. And then the additional 20 of material that was like fair weather. Cause when you feature, you just want to do well. So you're really building up right. like a solid 20 to 25. Yeah. But basically the strategy was, okay, if I have five chunks and they're all 10 minutes or whatever, uh, that's basically my hour, you know, obviously 50, sure. but if you figure for laughter, that can eat up a lot of time. 
So that right. was really it. And I wrote it out on my, I basically also, I went and wrote out every joke, literally like any joke I've ever told as at a feature set, at a dry erase board, wrote them all out, categorized them in what area it should go. And then from there, I just um, would just like practice that chunk at Bert's back room. I would go do the 10 minute one yeah. and just be like, okay, today I don't, I'm not, cause it's so easy to go to a mic and do new stuff. I was like, I'm doing the work chunk and I'm going to do 10 minutes. And then I would literally go back and I print it out. Like you can start to see it here. See this, this thing right oh, here. Sure. Yeah. So I would color code this chunk. The red chunk was the intro jokes because those tend to open, like you have your joke. You can always open with, for some reason, it's just a great opener. Yeah. You put the middle, you put the ones in the middle that like do well, but they, they need a little uh, momentum from previous bits. And yeah. then I would put the, at the end of each chunk, I would call it the closer of that group. And mm -hmm. I would put the best joke at the end. And then I would just like out of, I have construction, my age, being single, growing up in Connecticut or growing up family, that would be that one. And then um, ex-girlfriend. So all my ex-girlfriend mm -hmm. bits. And I would literally just go and just run those constantly and take notes and just keep like, I would be like, you can come up with new stuff if it fits in that, but like, I kind of curbed writing a lot of new things because I needed to just like hone all that stuff. And just, I did that for like a good, a good month, but those are also bits that I've been doing on the road for a while. So it's not like I had to do like a ton of rewriting. It was just like kind of building up the ones I haven't said in a while. Right. Right. Gotcha. Still stressful, still stressful nonetheless, but yeah, 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 yeah. Now, obviously we all have kind of our, our, our sticks, our things that we joke about. You know, I joke about religion a lot. I have mm -hmm. heard not your whole hour, but I've heard some of your stuff. And I don't you, you joke about being horny a lot, which is hilarious, but you don't really joke <laughs> about the religion stuff. So is religion part of your background or or were you not really raised religious at all? It's funny. I have I got my uh, first communion. I'm Catholic or I'm Catholic. Uh -huh. uh, my whole mom, you know, my, my grandmother on my dad's side was insanely religious. Oh, my, okay. my grandparents and mom, my mom went to Catholic school. They all went to Catholic school growing up uh -huh. and they would always, they would always go to church. And then I feel like with the times, my mom would like, we were fair weather church people, but I still would go to CCD. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like Sunday school for people who didn't go to Catholic school. Cause I went to like public school. Oh, okay. So basically every Sunday I would go to the church at like, at, um, it was like the evening and they would just give us like Catholic school stuff. And you yeah. basically build up. And the first step was you got to do your first communion, which is getting the, the wafer and all that. Yeah. And then from there you build up again. And I think you get your confirmation, which is like your I mean, it's the next, it's another step where you get a confirmation name and all this stuff. So right, I did that. And then, I mean, by that one, like the confirmation, you're in like high school. And I mean, after that, it's like how much we would go to like church, like on, on holidays. And then, I mean, when I go to college, I never went. So it's weird. Like I understand it a lot. I was never like super religious, but I can respect it because all of my family, I was like the first generation not to sound, it's like sounds messed up that like kind of, we just were like, you know what? I think we're done with this, but I mean, <laughs> sure. 
I mean, that's kind of, that's it. You know, I don't, uh, nothing against it. It's not like I, I was like the people who never went to church, but I've, right. oh, I've been to church. I can get married <laughs> in a church too, if I want to. So <laughs> ah, that's great. That's great. So do you still identify as Catholic or sort of, I mean, if I somebody mean, like, brings it up, like it's not yeah. something I'm like, Hey, I'm mad. I'm Catholic. They're like, what? <laughs> right, really? random... uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, I guess I just, I'm also, I don't want to like claim it in a way when I'm right. such a fair weather fan. It's like, you know, sports. It's like, I'm not going to be like, go Dallas Cowboys when I don't know many people <laughs> on the team. They're like, get out right, of here. So. Right. Sure. Sure. Like most but, people in band t-shirts. Exactly. My Pink Floyd <laughs> shirt. I can name one song, I think. And I don't even oh, know if it's really? the song or the, it's the song or the album. I got the shirt at H&M and I was like, cool. I like Justin Foster. Do you know Justin at all? I don't. I oh he he's my buddy. Anyways, he gives yeah. he's like a big band guy, and uh-huh. I piss him off because I wear a Pink Floyd shirt, and he gets mad because I don't listen to them. And right. I claim I I only bought the shirt because I like triangles because there's a triangle <laughs> on the front. Yeah, for Dark Side of the Moon album cover. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's the one thing you can name from Pink Floyd? Uh, I think that was it. Dark Side of the Moon. We got <laughs> okay, so that's the, the yeah, fact yeah, yeah. that you can you can dub it over Wizard of Oz. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yes. Actually, very cool. I don't know if you've done it uh, or not, but it is. It's it's amazing. Never done it. Don't do drugs. So, but uh, I don't either, and it's still interesting, even without drugs. It's pretty cool. So uh, I'll do it. I'll, I'll check it out on YouTube. But yeah, yeah. There uh, you go. I mean, I mean, religion wise. I guess that's it. You know, I, I don't, I'm not like, uh, I re- it's there. I respect it. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I understand what it means to a lot of people. So if that's what they want and they like, I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Sure. I just know people who are, I knew people who are like super religious. Like I remember growing up, like Jehovah witnesses would come and like go on your doorstep. You're like, yeah, I mean, thank you but like let me just do my thing like why don't you just go yeah. like I, I i never understood that side of it and it's very easy to poke fun at that side so right um, right well they yeah. were our biggest competitors as a proselyting missionary it was either us or the jehovah's witnesses out knocking doors what's the difference between here's a good here here leads us into the mormon what's the difference between jehovah witness and mormon uh i mean quite a bit quite a bit obviously both christian um the you know my my faith i believe there's other books of scripture besides the bible so that's that's probably the easiest way to put the biggest difference right we we believe that this guy joseph smith translated these plates into the book of mormon so right you know we believe in current living prophets i don't know that the jehovah's witnesses do um, they don't believe in anything wait. from my understanding. They don't believe in anything? Is that what you said? Uh, from my understanding, they don't. Uh, nothing is important to them. I don't know. <laughs> besides going to doors. I mean, <laughs> I think I, it's a very interesting model from what I understand of the faith, not to belittle it at all in case anybody is, is the, of that faith, of that persuasion. But it is hey. an interesting thing to think about. One of the tenets of their faith is that there are 144,000 that are going to heaven and that that that's it oh wow there are just 144,000 going so why they would go knock doors is a little bit beyond me i think you'd be trying to get kind of people out of your faith so that that's you bizarre yeah but you know again i don't know all the intricacies that's 
that's kind of a, a very flyby, you know, night uh, salvation hey. of their faith. So it strikes me as odd that that's, but in any event. Seems like, uh, I mean, maybe they're just that, they want to just send the best of the best. They want to <laughs> send, so. and, they, and they're just recruiting. It's like the MLB, they're, they keep putting people in the, they're like, it's like the it's like baseball. You got the farm leagues, and only right. the best go to MLB. They're like you, you're arguing like, well, why do you keep drafting people? You're like, because we got to get the MLB better. So maybe yeah, that's their the MLB. They got to send well, up the. I, the yeah, I, I I can understand that. I guess maybe it's also a mix of that with the stand up mentality, right? We all think we're better than those who are already famous to some extent, right? That's why we're chasing it. So yeah, of course. I think. I guess, I guess that makes sense. If I put it that way, I, I guess I can understand I mean, people being like, sure, come on in our faith, but you're not going to be better than me. So, you're going to be doing my work. Yeah. They just bring them on as like uh, assistants to their own thing. Cause <laughs> right. they're that vain. Yeah. Eventual peons. I need more servants up there. Come on in, come on in. Religion's crazy to me because of how, and this is the only thing I'd never understood about it is how, it never gets updated and a lot of comics talked about this, but it's like, mm. even like, like, I mean, they're, they're like still so focused on literature from so long ago. Like <laughs> sure. we don't even, we don't even like hold <laughs> merit to things wrote written in like the sixties, but a book that is aged hundreds, arguably thousands of years does not need any refreshing. You're just like, what what level-headed human would ever agree to that? Like, I just, but I mean, I understand a lot of it's based up for interpretation, so you don't need to rewrite things and that would completely change it. But that was always yeah. one thing for me where I'm just like, I mean, we're all adults. And when you start talking about invisible, my, but then again, okay, let me finish that. <laughs> we, we all know that the invisible stuff's silly, but then again, I'm like, it's still their attempt at hinting at some sort of an afterlife and it's a mm-hmm. snapshot of their knowledge or at least, yeah, their knowledge of like what they can comprehend. So my ar- argument always like, I don't, so like if there was a new, if they, if somebody was like, like now, Hey, rewrite Christianity with our level of science and understanding and this, it would be this yeah. like crazy new, like, theoretical with mixed with more scientific things and energies and like it would almost be more scientific and it's like that's why i don't completely bash it because i'm like dude they don't i mean i always tell people like and even now like for us to try to like comprehend an afterlife is like telling somebody in the 1800s to explain what wi-fi is you're like right they would not and who the hell do we think we are to even try to like understand? Like, I mean, science is wrong every year. They're like, yeah, we, by the way, that equation is wrong. So it's like, why yeah, don't we just yeah, like yeah. accept, why don't we just accept that? Like we're in this, like we're dumb at the end of the day. I understand we're trying to figure it out, but like, and I think religion's just trying to like hint at it in a way, but also I, the thing that I take from religion that I respect is it's just like them basically preaching to be good and good to others. I think it can get mislead misled with, right. I mean, when you get a little competitive with it and they start getting crazy and this and the other, right. but I mean, there's right. a lot of aspects that are, you're like, all right, calm down, but I don't know. That's yeah. Two cents on it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a good way to do religion, which is what I think you're talking about. And there's a bad way to do religion, which is what you're alluding to. 
where right. it gets not about loving your neighbor. It's about showing your neighbor why they deserve to be judged right now. So exactly. That's a little yeah. that that part you're like, just be good to each other. And if you need to I don't want to say if you need to go to church, like if people just enjoy going, then who the hell gives a like go right. my my English teacher and I always think about this in middle school, he was Jewish, but he he liked going to temple and how he put it and I've always respected it. He goes, I just like going because I feel like I'm sitting there with a blanket over me and someone's telling me a story and I feel good. And I'm just like, mm. that's why you want to go, then go, then you can never <laughs> get mad at this guy who just enjoys sitting back and listening and taking what he wants and moving on with his day. So that's right. That's why I never, that's why I never. Yeah. And I do think that is, you know, 99% of why people go to church. I think the, the part that people have an issue with and that I think gets more publicity than it should uh, as far as like depicting why people go to church is because they envision people going being wrapped in a warm blanket and being told why they should hate the gays, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, we get that that is publicized, but that is not why most of us churchgoers go to church. Cause that's not what's happening at church. That's right, not what we're right, being right. told. That's for um, the Saturday mass. That's the Saturday. Mass. Yeah. Yeah. That's for the Patreon. <laughs> that's for the Patreon, the Patreon of church. You got to pay to get into that one. <laughs> that's it. That's it, baby. Uh, yeah. so, so do you believe in an afterlife at all? Like, are you kind of agnostic or where do you fall? No, I think I generally think it's kind of like what my, my, my explanation of like, I think how our language trying to sum up what happens after you die can't be done in a way. Mm -hmm. I do believe something happens. Uh I don't, I don't know what, because I generally don't think anybody can even comprehend it. But it's funny on my podcast the other day as like, I mean, our, uh, this is going to get deep. I feel like it's weird because our words were generated because we felt something and we made a noise and we just kept making that noise and it became a word and this and the other, but that doesn't mean there's a word for everything and all, but yet we feel things sometimes and all this stuff. So I feel like, yeah, as weird as it sounds, I, I mean, I feel like when you die, you don't, it's going to be so new, but in a weird way, it's going to be mainly a familiar feeling because it's, everything's very natural and there's life and there's cycles and all this stuff. And, you know, we feel like, uh, feel like there's, we, I don't want to say recycle feelings, but like there's events that like, you're like, I felt this before for this circumstance. And it's like a means of growing. And it's like, even like going back, like it's crazy where, you have that feeling of like sadness, but also being happy when you like had to graduate high school. And then you kind of, and then you have that same feeling again, when you had to graduate college where you're like these kind of like death and reborn feelings. And you kind of like you're see right. how it, you le- it's sad to leave that, but you're going here and there's additional like thoughts and emotions mixed with that. And then you have the same thing when you meet, like you have that little summer camp effect when you go somewhere, pe- like, that's just like the coming and going vibe. But I'm like, I feel like there's those situations beyond this and it's going to be a sensation that it's going to be new. It's probably scary, but when it's happening, you always hear these like after death stories where they're like, I felt calm. And it's like, I, if you can ask somebody who was dead, like, was it as 
mind blowing? It was a mind blowing. Yes. But is it a situation where you kind of felt at peace? Like you trusted the process. I think that's what it's like. What the end game is. I mean, everybody thinks we're just going to be translucent humans in the clouds. I mean, I don't think it's that, but I'd like, I tend to think that you can still, I mean, for the sake of your family and friends, I tend to think even if you're not like a human form, you can still, uh, feel like your mother or your daughter or you're like you, you can you know they're near you like as that yeah. like so i can hope it's that while yeah. understanding it's probably not that but maybe it is so i i think it's sure. something some people where they're just like you shut off the lights and um it's done i'm like okay but we also know nothing about consciousness where like right there's so much there's so much to it that to tell like human being to put in tick words i mean it's just like you're not doing yourself any justice but i can at least hint at like a process i think it goes and like using like precedence of like i mean us not understanding why uh we before we were born why we don't remember stuff it's like because you're of you weren't in the vessel of consciousness yet so you have no reason it's like i look at like your soul and being a, a human, like being um, like uh, a human is like a car and the soul is the person driving it where mm-hmm. you're put in this vessel. You might have a car, a great car, a car that wants to crash into other cars, but you know, <laughs> right. you're doing your best with the weird square wheels that you're getting and driving. Yeah. And once you ride that, until it goes like the the car's gone but the person driving it is still an entity but you couldn't experience driving without being in the car yeah so like that's like you know that does that make sense so yeah yeah that's yeah my, that's my that's my thought process so i think everyone needs to get together take a pill kill each other like a cult <laughs> and wait, document wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we took we Maddie took religion. a very come and uh, come and tiktok religion <laughs> We took a very strong turn there. I know. Sorry. (laughs) That's not at all. I love it. That's not at all where I thought you were going to go with that. But that's what we love about you, Maddie. (laughs) And we're all horny in my afterlife. It's just. That's it, baby. Slippery and hard. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's great. So, I mean, your your vision, like, as far as like a God or a divinity, do you believe in that, in something that's kind of watching over like, all of us i feel like uh i mean watching over is i mean i don't know about watching over i look at it like this i drew a picture once when i was high where like uh-huh. whatever we are there's a much more concentrated version of that somewhere else which is in turn what god would be and we're just little pieces that broke off and inhabited what we are. So that's why, I mean, some people might be more concentrated than others. What does that mean? I don't know. But I feel like it's this, like, if you call it a cloud and then like little clouds break off, that's what people, so it's like, we're all like, that's why when people like, we're all a part of whatever you consider God. Yeah. I feel like it's just like what the, your consciousness and your morals are just a less uh i don't want to say concentrated version because i would imply that that thing knows more but i guess maybe that's it i don't know i i do have a a sense that we we were like 
it's branched off of like a bigger mass. I don't want to say energy, but like, if you're going to use that, like there's a source of this energy and we're, a, we are, we have that within us, but yeah. wherever the hell that lives is considered, if you want to call that the God aspect, I guess. I don't know. Right, right, right. Okay. I like that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so sweet. It's like science and theoretical, I guess is my thought or like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not yeah, yeah, science because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to give science too much credit, but it's like I'm, I'm a huge proponent of like being realistic and having common sense and trying to like look at things like unbiased. That's why I'm not like super political or like I, I'm so like I try to be as unbiased as possible in every situation because and even like right. how I apply like my thoughts on like all these things where obviously religion says words for these entities science has labels for things i'm like before there was words and labels and stuff like what do you generally just think it was and that's kind of like how i come up with my solutions and at least for that stuff so yeah 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 no i i, I like that i can respect that i think like you that religion and science are pitted against each other when i don't think they should be right i think it's really right two different sort of modes of thought to get at truth and I think they actually can help right. each other out. I don't think they have to be at odds. Um, I think a religion was arguably trying to do what science did before science was even a real thing. As far yeah, as like right. understand stuff. And then they put labels on it. And then one day some guy just put a narrative to the science, which in turn became or the narrative to their science, which was religion. Right. So right. I feel like religion is narrative to their science back in the day. And then yeah. obviously when science came around, their whole goal is to constantly debunk things. So obviously <laughs> right. the first thing they looked at was what they used to be talking about. And that's why right. they're constantly at odds. But I guarantee if you like took a guy from way back when who was religious and a scientist now and had them in the room, they'd be like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure that out. But I just called it this because I didn't know what else to call it. And I called right. it an angel with wings. And he's like, well, it's not exactly that. But then they would figure it come. <laughs> have a common ground so yeah yeah i 100 percent agree 100 percent agree i love it yeah and, and on that note of agreement uh i want to now move to our last and final segment of the podcast where you get to now pepper me with whatever questions you've you've had about my faith and religion in a segment i call what's the deal with mormons so maddie chimber what's the deal with mormons do you feel like it's uh as a Mormon, I feel like one of the biggest highlights is how you guys can apparently hook up with or be, have multiple wives. Do you feel like that's an annoying stigma <laughs> around it where it's like almost like a sexually driven religion in a way? Yeah, I mean, you guys are it, the nicest people on earth, but it's weird that like <laughs> your stigma is like, I can f- all the women or, you know, <laughs> right. Is that- I, so two things. One is it is a, a stigma that is it's sort of a classic stereotype in that it came from a place that was actually true, but it has been not true for quite a long time now. So uh, people in, in my faith, the mainstream Mormons, right? Mainstream members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have not practiced polygamy for over a hundred years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there are little pockets of you know sort of sects that have broken off from the mainstream faith you know in central utah a lot of them that still practice polygamy but they're not considered members of my faith so it's like alti um, mormon <laughs> right right exactly the silver uh, lake mormon <laughs> <laughs> yeah the hipsters the progressive mormons 
Um, I mean, that being said, the church has never come out to say that polygamy itself is an evil, condemnable practice. What is the reason? How? Where did that derive, and why so, was it? I mean, polygamy was practiced in the Old Testament, right? With with Solomon and some of the other prophets and kings, they practiced polygamy. Um, you know, you have Abraham who practiced polygamy. Uh, there were some prophets. It's very, very primitive thing, it seems. That sure. They just kept, right. Um, yeah, for I everybody, not just you. Not just you. Guys. Right. I mean, for everybody. Right. I think it's it's sort of based on and if you read into some like Mormon apologists. So so what happens is Joseph Smith restores the church um, in in the 1830s and he's translating the Book of Mormon, comes across some stuff that talks about the, uh, you know, the ancient prophets and polygamy. And uh, Joseph is asking God in prayer about these activities right like what was the deal with polygamy essentially Mm -hmm. and um they are through joseph smith you know he's been revealed that this is an important practice for the saints at that time to actually start implementing so they start implementing polygamy in the late 1830s 1840s and it lasts for about 50 years 1890s the united states government outlaws it and therefore the the faith stops practicing it they send some of their members to mexico to continue practicing it because some of these apologists will say well a big part of polygamy is actually populating the the earth right it's getting more members of the faith raised as kids uh to have a healthy sort of base of people that believe this religion right Right. So that's one reason. Another reason was sort of their understanding, the early saints understanding of of what it took to get into what we call exaltation, sort of this highest level of heaven. And one thing that's required is marriage between a man and a woman. And there were lots of women who either had lost their husbands to death, you know, uh, through sickness or being killed uh, through, you know, battle or whatever that um, they, they wanted to ensure that these women would not be uh, left behind. Yeah. Right. Exiled because they weren't married any longer. So there were some marriages right. performed that were just sort of almost symbolic in nature so that they all felt covered in making sure everyone could make it into exaltation. Um, that makes sense. Probably a mix of both. But anyway, in the 1890s, it stopped and um <laughs> But it's it's kind of a cool little bit, right? I mean, polygamy is so salacious that it sticks around. So sounds. I mean, I mean, that's just how perverted people are. They're like, hold on, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and you, you have got the problem. Multiple, yeah. <laughs> you have the problem of these people in Central Utah and some other little communities around the United States who call themselves Mormon, who are practicing polygamy, and who do believe in the Book of Mormon, who do claim Joseph Smith to be a prophet of the restoration of their faith. And uh, that, that, that sort of confuses, I think, the, the general public who don't really care, other than this really cool little kind of salacious fact, right? like uh clickbaity why why are they why is the news and the internet going to cover uh 
boring Mormons when you get the spicy stuff <laughs> right. in central Utah. Right, right. And the then worst... that seems like the general consensus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go after the worst dressed, most apparently sex hungry people in the Mormon faith. Go for it. I, I don't mean, know. I mean, I, I'm, I'll read about it. I'll <laughs> sign me up. Right, you feel like right. there's, is there, a, is there a, a, lot, a lot of Mormons out here? Uh, yeah, there's a healthy amount. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you hang out with them or like feel, uh, do you go to like, where's your church at? Yeah. So I go to a building that is in, uh, La Crescenta area. Um, mm-hmm. so that's where our church building is. And in sort of in our, our corner of the earth, La Crescenta, La Cañada, there are, there are a few church buildings, a few different congregations that meet at these church buildings, but yeah, there's a fairly healthy, uh, Latter-day Saint uh, faith or, or I guess, you know, overall congregation, a gathering in, in Los Angeles. There's just so many people in LA. So. I mean, this, yeah. Do you feel like there's a, can you, can you spot a Mormon? I mean, if they're wearing a BYU shirt. Yeah. Heck yeah. Oh, baby. I guess. Yeah, Brigham, that's Young, funny. Brigham Young University that, that gives them away every time. I will say though, I've been confused when I see a Y on a hat or a shirt. Cause sometimes it's Yale. So you can't right. just, you can't just jump to conclusions when you see that and tricky Yale, letter. If, if I know anything about New Haven, Connecticut, it's no Mormon, it's no Mormon area. Well, Puerto Rican, <laughs> but uh, no Mormons. Right. Yeah. Exactly. My only beef, my only beef with Mormons is uh, I was, when I moved out here, this girl, she'll remain nameless, but I met her at a oh, comedy good. club cause she, she worked there and she, yeah showed interest and you know launched her short we started like going on dates and all this stuff and then i was like oh i like this girl and then it comes out her boyfriend which i don't know what they were at the time was doing his yeah. little retreat somewhere where do you guys his like mission his, his mission he was on a mission and uh wow. you know and she was like going out with me we're like we weren't going all the way, but we, you know, like hook up and this and the other. And then yeah. uh, it kind of just turned out that like it was she knew when he came back, they were going to get, you know, uh, go to the Mormon <laughs> party and uh, make some babies. And I was just like, yeah, what the? I go, what was that? I go for being this like nice uh, religious girl. You kind of <laughs> me over. So what the hell was that? And I'm like, I wish you told me. And it was just so bizarre how it was just like he left yeah. he's on his mission and doing whatever they do and right. you know and then he came back and it was just like see ya and i'm like but then you meet mormons who like when i was in hawaii playing yeah. baseball man you meet these mormons where they find loopholes in the whole uh <laughs> no hooking up thing and i'm like oh, oh boy there i gotta so, say this anyway. there are no loopholes there are no loopholes. There's no poop just hole, loophole. Just buttholes. Yeah, nope, nope, nope. It's all that's all intercourse, baby. You've you've done it. You've it's done called, the dirty. It's called, it's oh, my soaking God. is a huge is different than Mormonism. <laughs> right. And it's unbelievable what people will do. I mean, that just speaks I, I will say this that that there is a a problem, I think, within my faith about being sexually repressive, you know? And it's right. not it's not like I, I don't think like youth leaders are trying to be repressive. I think it's just awkward, you know, in any sort of pervasive right. religious culture, it's awkward to talk about these things. 
Right. And so it gets this really bad stigma. And then you get a bunch of really confused kids that are just like, ah, oh, well, if I don't, you know, if I'm not pumping in and out, then it's not the deal. So right, right. Ridiculous, ridiculous nonsense. Last, I guess last question. So do you, yeah. are you at the Mormon level? Like I've heard, do you like not drink coffee or any stimulant or anything like that? I mean, uh, no, for, I don't drink for coffee. religious reasons or just like, right. you just right. don't do it. Yeah, no, I don't drink coffee or tea for religious reasons. I don't drink herbal tea because it's gross, uh, yeah, but disgusting. allowed religiously. Um, and as far as like stimulants, that's, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess no. like caffeine's the only one I really know about, or at least like one right. that I was like, I, I heard that and I was like, well, it's pretty interesting because caffeine is amazing so I'm yeah no caffeine is amazing uh no i love chocolate i love a good mountain dew nectar of the gods i call it Uh, so you'll get the sugar high you'll get the sugar (laughs) high (laughs) (laughs) well caffeine's interesting right so so caffeine maddie is one of these things that a lot of members of the faith for whatever reason believe that that's why coffee and tea are sort of outlawed within the mormon faith but there's never been any direct counsel from, you know, the prophets of the church to say that caffeine is the problem. Cause if caffeine were the problem, then chocolate's got to go and uh, Red Bull's got to go and all these, you know, energy drinks got to go. Um, then why is caffeine think... or coffee and tea? Like what's it's banned or there's just, I don't understand. Right. That. Right. Well, so the the answer is that when Joseph Smith received a revelation called colloquially the word of wisdom, which is this health code that we live by, uh, similar to kind of Jewish kosher law, um, oh. he was given the words in the in, the words in the revelation are hot drink, no hot drinks. Okay, but that what? was in. Yeah, right. But that was interpreted by Joseph Smith in a subsequent sort of letter that he wrote as coffee and tea. So hot chocolate, totally good. Uh, it's it's not about the temperature. It's about the contents. And to be honest, I don't know what the chemical makeup is of tea and coffee that makes it bad, but it's never been delineated as caffeine. I think the true answer to this question is about addiction in general, right? So this, this word of wisdom revelation is really about keeping ourselves clean and pure from, uh, you know, addiction from, from the needs of whatever, right? So, so that we can be influenced by the Holy spirit. That's, that's the real I mean, I mean, goal of chocolate Mountain Dew sounds like an addiction if you ask me. I mean, I'm not on it right now. I'm not on it right now. That's the thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't feel like I need As you're slowly things. putting the cap back on one. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine right now, okay? I, I don't need just, it. I just see it fizz up on your shirt, and you're like. <laughs> I've just got That's chocolate crazy. streaks under my chin. Do you yeah, know my theory is Joe, John Smith drank a coffee and his pants because it makes you. <laughs> And he goes, this devil juice is not going to make its way into my relationship. He was so embarrassed. Well, the way this revelation came about is interesting because the Mormon faith was practicing what was called the school of the prophets. So a bunch of old, you know, middle-aged white guys, similar to me and you, actually, around 34. We're both about the same age. They would meet in. Yeah, baby. It's a good year. It's a good year. 
they would meet in the in this room above this general store in Nauvoo, Illinois, and uh, talk about everything: science, math, language, art, just everything. They would teach each other everything they knew about every topic. And um, during those meetings, they were smoking cigars, they were smoking pipes, they were chewing tobacco. Uh, drinking coffee. They were spitting out tobacco juice all over the place. And at the end of the meeting, all these good, righteous men would walk down the stairs and leave. And Emma, Joseph's wife, would go up the stairs and like a good woman, clean, right? Mm -hmm. And she eventually, after a few of these meetings, said, Joseph, this is disgusting. I I will not do this anymore. And so Joseph then Uh. went to pray uh, she said, I don't think it's it's proper. I don't think it's proper for a prophet of the Lord to be spitting out tobacco juice all over the place. That's gross. And the revelation came. Word of wisdom. Listen to the wife. You shouldn't be doing this. It's bad for mm. you. And there you go. So we he have allude, he pro- hopefully he eluded a lot of people with addiction problems that never dabbled with it. And if anything, they're just addicted to good old J.S., Right, right. That's it. Or JC, JC, JC. Oh, John Smith. No, it's not. So Joseph Smith is a yeah. He he's the guy that restored Jimmy Smith. Keep on wrong, Jay. Right. It's okay. It's all right. I called you by the wrong last name. It's all right. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet of uh, (laughs) the Lord of Horny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's that's the very long verbose answer to your rather simple question. Last question. Do you feel like there's a competitiveness amongst the Mormonisms with that in mind where like people try to outpeer each other? Where it's like, oh, you don't I don't drink coffee, but I also don't do this. And then you get people kind uh. of like out outbore each other with like <laughs> to the point where there's people who are like so they're like, I don't go out in the wind. And you're like, what? Like, Oh, where did that? I yeah, mean, like, I, but like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's like people yeah. you're like, oh, they're so Mormon or like, it's right. almost like trying to be uh one up, one up Mormon version. Yeah. It's the one up righteousness. Um, to an extent. You ever met anyone I, with a, with an ex, with a, with a, I guess, have you ever met anyone with like a quote unquote Mormon habit where you're like, that's just too Mormon for me. I mean, uh, or lack thereof, lack of a a great question. Sometimes with these, with these kinds of questions, I feel like I'm too close to in the culture to know, like, what is the culture? Do you know what I mean? Like for all Uh, I know, Seth Lawrence only with the lights out because that's Mormonism. (laughs) And I'm just like, that's weird. (laughs) Right. No, I'm not like Joseph Smith. Said you shall not see the turd that becometh of you, right? Because yeah, prophets don't see their own, and you guys are yeah, like, That's don't just what we do. Don't look on the refuse of your own body. No, exactly. That's Mormon. Uh, that is so Mormon. That is so Mormon. Um, yeah. oh man, that is uh, it's a great question, Maddie. I don't. I I definitely felt people one upping each other in high school with righteousness which is a very interesting time really? to be hilarious. doing that yeah so i knew kids you know like we would talk about what movie we were going to go see uh we're going to go you know we should go see austin powers this weekend and then you know we'd get to the guy that we all knew 
he might not come and he'd be like, yeah, man, I don't see, you know, I know that everyone is told don't watch R rated movies. I don't see PG 13 movies. I That's draw the exactly line. it. Yeah. So that, it's one of those things. Right. Hilarious. Right. So I've definitely met those people. What's funny is that guy, uh, you know, anyway, it's sort of like some of these people who try so hard to do religion the right way, which is like over the top end up right. kind of hating it and then leaving it because it's impossible to live like that. And it's, it's like a yeah, standard were, that it's too much. Right. And it's like, you were never supposed to live like that. So no wonder you hate, it. I would hate it. I would hate it. If you, if I did it that way. That's like uh, when people start podcasts and they overdo the first episode with all these graphics. And, <laughs> and then by the episode 10, they get burnt out because they, it's like, you just should have started it at a right. steady pace and let right. the righteousness catch up to you then him coming out the gate being like i don't watch awesome powers i don't put butter on my popcorn i put the lights out no coffee you're like dude you're over you gotta ease into it buddy yeah 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 exactly no 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 chocolate here baby i'm all pure. i want to i want to i want a chapter in the book of mormon called the chapter of easing into it and I, you know you guys are just gradually yeah. become just these orbs that hover of righteousness but until then you guys can watch r-rated movies and right right yeah go to night, kind of go a, to nightcap a 12-step intro program where you're slowly exactly. slowly getting into it yeah well I mean, we'll have to develop rough. maybe maybe i'll write up a rough draft of that program and send it to you for editing i would love to just uh i'm going to come up with things that i think are mormon that you should stop doing <laughs> <laughs> the lights out the lights out bathroom sounds like it could be like an elite mormon practice where they're I like think, we don't want to see the turd we just turn right. lights on afterwards what's nice about that is you're you're also hitting into like this hasidic kind of like no work you know turn the lights right. off on the sabbath kind of thing in this mennonite no technology you're hitting a bunch of like different sort of main like hardcore religions in that one i like that dude i'm a hybrid i'm i'm a it, it's people look at fusion like dining with like fusion foods i do fusion religions where it's like <laughs> instead of like mexican asian i'm like dude i got a little hasidic mormon thing i'm working on <laughs> right. <laughs> right i love it you can only you can only urinate while holding the mezuzah or whatever it's called on Saturdays, yes. Yeah, Saturday. yeah, yeah. That's it. You got to hold it. Got to hold it to the weekend, but, dude. It, sir, no more. You cleared the air for me. I'm good. Now. Beautiful. Good. Good. Well, anything, anything you want to plug? You got a fantastic podcast that you're running, the Maddie Chimber Podcast. The Maddie Chimber Podcast on YouTube. Um, I mean, my spelling is. You'll see uh, my friend here spell it in the uh, description, but uh, M-A-T-T-Y-C-H-Y-M-B-O-R. Check out my videos we chatted about on TikTok and Instagram. They're very, uh, very uh, unique videos that I take pride in and stress about. So if you can like it and look at it, not even like it, just watch it and uh, maybe comment that you came from the seth lawrence show uh <laughs> the disorganized religion podcast disorganized yeah. religion exactly and then uh i mean that's it i mean at the end of the day i just want them to enjoy the episode and keep listening to your podcast and subscribing to you and smashing the like button so <laughs> i love it i love it do you have a website people can go to to find out when you're you coming know to I their don't. town you don't I don't i'm 
I'm I actually, I'll, 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 uh, I'll plug this the first time ever. I'm starting my merch. I'm selling these hats, which I don't even have out yet. They say wildly oh, average. It's a nice like hat. This, this is the prototype and it's going to start making its way into my videos and I'm going to get people to start getting familiar with it. If they like it, there'll be a link, but I'm not like, uh, I just wanted to say that cause it's the first time I've ever said it. So yeah, it's a new, it's a new great. thing. I'm trying to get, trying to get merch going. That's not comedy merch, but it's almost like it's, it's this separate entity that you would see me wearing while doing my videos, because you'd be shocked when I do my videos. Like when I had my USC hat, I didn't even go there. It's just a hat I wear Yeah, or certain art- articles of clothing people comment and notice it and i'm like and my buddy's like you should make merch so i don't want it to be like yeah. goofy comedy merch i'd rather be like something cool that people would wear so this is the first right. of hopefully many that uh if you guys like it feel free to keep an eye out for when they go on sale so that's great now did this idea i mean it, so you talked about this in your last podcast episode a little bit this wildly average kind of idea I threw the word out there a little bit and i do and that's kind of the idea that has driven it where I mean, as much as I talk about me thinking I'm better than everyone, but I, at the end of the day, I do right. generally think we're all just average people and we have our peaks and valleys. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's almost to kind of keep yourself grounded when you see somebody's Instagram and it makes your life feel shitty or you see somebody doing well, guess what? They're the average. You're just looking at their highlight reel and they look at you the same way you're looking at them. So right. I mean, we're well, just, and it might not even just, be a highlight reel. They might've just wept just right after exactly it's like you know we're just uh these normal blobs and we're (laughs) you know trying to be we're trying to be wildly average meaning like we're you know we're just uh, it's an extreme it's like an oxymoron in a way right and it's like a silly self-deprecating thing that i feel like people can be like wearing and thinking like it's almost like cool to be like i'm average like instead of wearing a shirt (laughs) that says i'm the best yeah 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 i love it i'm with i'm with average you can start a whole thing Dude, see, it's like, I mean, that's why I'm trying to just like really nail down what the first couple products are that, I mean, you can, I will gladly, you can be the recipient of some merch and I'll give it oh, to you I'll, for I'll, free. So I'll buy it. I'll buy it from you, Maddie. I'll support. No, dude, no, no, dude. We're, I got a, I got a community that I will be <laughs> sharing it to just wear it and not uh, cross out any of the graphics and we'll be fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely, man. I'll be a happy wear supporter. Uh, Maddie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on, talking about this with me tonight. Uh, Sweet, man. Well, I'll put all your info in the show notes. Uh, Everybody hit up Maddie Chimber on uh, Twitter, uh, his podcast, uh, TikTok, Instagram. All the good stuff. And look for that merch. Look for that merch, baby. Keep an eye out for it. It's not. It's uh. It's it's still in the works, but it's uh. It's the, it's like the uh the Willy Wonka treat. You know, you just you just saw it, but you can't take it out yet. It's the gobstopper <laughs> yeah, like of it. hats. It's the I gobstopper like it. of hats. You saw the recipe, <laughs> but you better not tell Fornsworth or whatever his name is. Right. Right. Oh man, what's deep cuts from Maddie Chimber tonight? I love it, dude. Thank you so much. Remember, it's the metaphors. Just That's to go it. back. See. Yeah, I need people to understand with I need them to have two examples, not one. So then they can make. <laughs> oh, I get it. So anyways, thanks, buddy. I, I really do appreciate this. This is great. Nightcap. Th- this is what we do at Nightcap. People you got to see and, you know, yeah, hopefully there'll be more. So, yeah, hopefully so. All right, baby. Thank you so much, Maddie. Uh, and hopefully we'll see you at Nightcap uh, a couple weeks.